Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's I got a little emotional in the last service, no surprise. Uh, so I've got tissues ready. This weekend, I got word and our leaders got word that a young woman who had grown up at this church, Medley Morgan, lost her life in a car accident. Uh, it was Friday evening. We learned about it Saturday morning. She was a sweet, precious person to this church family and to her family. Uh, you probably know her parents, Heather and Seth Wilder. If, if you don't know them, I'm pointing in that direction because for probably 15 years, they've worked in our nursery. Now, there's something about that. This woman... Um, who has rocked all of my babies, who has lost hers. That's pretty hard. So, ah, that was heavy on me yesterday. And uh, it's been a heavy week, heavy couple of weeks. Um, Her funeral is Tuesday, this Tuesday, two days from now, in Olive Branch at the Coleman Funeral Home from, let me make sure I get the time right, noon to two. I'd love for you to be there to support them. From noon to two on Tuesday in Olive Branch, Coleman Funeral Home. It's been a hard week though. Her funeral, once, once we've had that funeral on Tuesday, it'll be the third funeral I've been a part of with this church family in a week. Now, one of those was Miss Yvonne McRae. She was a sweet woman, lived a long life, her funeral was sad, but it was appropriately sad, and it was beautiful. She had this, you know, generations that owe their faith in part to their mom and grandma, and so honoring her was, was beautiful. But, but the first of those funerals was of Jody Abbott's, your dear brother, who was taken too early by a cruel disease, Huntington's disease. I mean, his, his kids are college age, basically. And so that didn't feel right, just like Medley's passing doesn't feel right. Um, I got in a wreck a little over a week ago, and um, I was fine and uh, jumped out of the car. The other driver was fine, both fine, car's not fine. Um, but immediately you kind of go into business mode once you figure out that everybody's fine, and I'm thinking about I need to call the police, get the police here, I need to get this vehicle out of the middle of the road. Uh, you know, I need to call my insurance agent, and of course, I need to call Lindsay. And so I'm kind of though in business mode, I'm just taking care of everything, getting stuff out of the car, handling all this, and I, I stop to call Lindsay, and I say, babe, I'm okay, but I was in a wreck. And I'll never forget her response. It was this tremor in her voice, immediately, a wreck, a wreck. And it just reminded me when I heard her how fragile life is. 
We had a young boy who was walking home from elementary school this week, a young boy at this church walking home from elementary school was hit by a car. And he's okay. He spent a couple days in the hospital and it was scary and frightening that he's going to be okay. But man, that shook me up. I got an email from a sister at this church who wanted our leaders to know that she's afraid she might be um, dealing with a really difficult diagnosis. And she just wanted prayer. A couple weeks ago, one of my brothers in our Sunday school class was sharing. We were going around asking for prayer requests. People were sharing what was going on in their life. And he was deployed years ago. And um, he shared that one of his brothers, his fellow soldiers that he had been deployed with, just took his own life. And he had had to go to his funeral that week. And then he shared that it was the 14th funeral from those that he had been deployed with since they had returned, whether from suicide or overdose. It's been a heavy couple weeks for me. All that has been weighing on me and for, for this church. And so yesterday, and I never do this, <clears throat> late last night, Lindsay will tell you this, I looked over at her and I said, my sermon for tomorrow is not the right sermon. And I don't know what the right one is. Uh, but I began to pray about that and I totally scrapped my sermon. So there, none of the slides, none of the scriptures are going to be on the screen. If you're watching online, none of it's going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen. I'll tell you where they are. If you want to go with me, you can. But the question on my mind as I was going to sleep last night was, how, how do we trust God? How do we trust God? I was going to preach out of the beginning of Acts this week. We're going to start out this Acts series. And I I was actually looking at the same passage that I had written an entirely different sermon for, and that passage hit me differently. Let me set it up just for you for a second. The Gospel of Luke ends, and Acts begins by retelling the same story. Luke and Acts are one book. They were separated by John. That's a long story. We could talk about that, but they're one book. And here's what I want you to see, that Luke ends and Acts begins. Or the ministry of Jesus on earth, as Jesus ascends, his ministry ends and the ministry of the body of Christ begins. And the question that's looming is, can we still trust God? Let me show you. This is in Luke 24, 49. These are Jesus' final instructions to his disciples before he ascends. And this is what he says to him. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I love that language. I'm going to send you what the father has promised. And then when that story is retold in Acts, we read this in Acts 1, 4 to 5, just before Jesus ascends, he says this. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Does anybody know where I put my tissue? I need to find that. There it is. You see what they're, they're asking themselves here? 
Jesus tells them, don't leave, don't do anything, because God's going to keep his promise to you. He's going to pour out his Holy Spirit on you. So the first question that the people of God have to ask themselves is, can we trust this God? And they do. I'll show you that here in a few few moments, but they do. And so then you ask yourself, how did these people figure out you can still trust this God when you're facing the hardest thing you've ever faced in your life? Jesus, the one they have hung all of their hopes on, is leaving. He's their everything, and he's leaving. And they still trust God. I think, first of all, they trust God because they were part of a community that believed God was reliable. They had grown up in a community that told these stories about God's history with his people, and every story ends with God keeps his promises. Let me show you one. One of those stories is in Joshua. The setting of Joshua is God's people finally coming into the land that God has promised to them. And this is how Joshua puts it. This is what we read in Joshua 21. So the Lord gave Israel all the land that he had sworn to their ancestors, and they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all of their enemies into their hands. And pay attention to this. Write this down, Joshua 21, 45. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. They had grown up here in that, and they believed it. We've been working with our boys, telling them how important it is to be honest, to tell the truth. If you say you're going to do something, to do it, to keep your promises. And we've told them the story of the boy who cried wolf. You know the story. I'm not going to retell it here. And the point is, like, it just takes once, just one time of not telling the truth, of not coming through on what you said you're going to do, and it creates doubt for us. And we want to trust you. We want those in your life to trust you. So you have to follow through. You have to do what you say you're going to do. And the story that the people of God and Israel tell each other is there's never been once, never been once, that God didn't keep his promises to us. He has always kept them, every one of them. And that was the story the community told to each other. How powerful, how important it is, do you think, to these disciples who are trying to decide in this most difficult moment that they have ever faced, whether or not they can still trust God, how important do you think it was to them that they were a part of community, a part of a community that trusted God. Years ago, this was early 2000s, the Highland Church in Abilene, Texas, which was the church that Lindsay and I went to when we were an undergrad, um, that church sent a busload of kids to a, a youth rally in Dallas. And on the way back from that youth rally, one of those buses flipped over. And I remember that a number of the kids were really seriously injured. I know at least one of those young people lost their life. Uh, Mike Cope, who's a mentor and friend of mine, was the preacher at the time at Highland. And he's told me since that that was by far the hardest season the Highland Church had ever been through. It was the hardest season for him personally, too. His son was in the accident and was injured really seriously. But he said, Eric, the grace of God in that season was that the doubt 
came on the Highland Church in waves. And that the waves would hit different people at different times. And so when that wave of doubt was washing over you, the grace of God was that you were still a part of a community where there were others who believed with all their heart. And when you did not believe, their faith would pick you up. You know, the disciples are a part of a community that believes God keeps his promises. But let me make this point really clear to you. If God had not raised Jesus from the dead, that track record would have been broken. And the disciples would not have had sufficient reason to keep trusting him. Let me show you this. Come with me to Luke 24. Just before Jesus tells them to wait, that God's going to keep his promise. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. Look at this. He opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. This is Luke 24, 45. And he told them, this is what's written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. Then the promise, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You see, he gives them the reason to trust God before he asks them to trust God. And what's the reason he gives them? God raised me from the dead. What we believe to be the greatest power in this world, death, he beat it and you're in his hands now. And so that's why you can trust him. That's why. Uh, I was in the hospital years ago with a brother who, whose wife was passing from this life into the next. And he loved her so much. Still does. And I'll never forget, he looked at me. I mean, we're saying our goodbyes. And he looked at me and he said, Eric, what happens next? He wasn't talking about funeral arrangements and living a life without your bride at your side. He was talking about what happens next for her. He said, I need to know. And so one of the most important passages in Scripture to me is this one here in Romans 6. It's a passage I often read at funerals. Um, because it is so easy to go through your life without a reminder of just how fragile life is. But when we finally realize that and when we're confronted with it, it's terrifying to us. And at that moment, we don't want maybes. This might happen. Well, we think that it's possibly like this, right? We want something a lot better than that. This is what Paul says in Romans 6. He says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, he says. And then if you're going to underline anything, underline this in your Bible. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
He's talking about what happens when you and I are baptized, that our lives are united to the life of Jesus, that we're baptized into his death. When we go down into that water, we're entering the tomb of Jesus so that when we come out of that water, we're raised in new life, not only in this life, but in the life to come. That's what he's saying. And if there's an important word in that passage, if there's a word you're going to circle or highlight or underline, I'm telling you, the word is certainly. That's the word. Because when you are facing the hardest moment in your life, like I said, you don't want a maybe, you want a certainty. And what Paul says is you can trust God because he raised Jesus from the dead and it's certain he'll do the same for you. So trust him. Now, I don't know if the disciples knew all that when Jesus ascends, when he's newly raised from the dead. I don't know that they had fully processed what exactly it meant that Jesus died and was raised and that they were united with him and were gonna be raised to. I don't think they understood all that, but Jesus tells him, trust God, he's gonna keep his promise, and they do. You know why? Because he tells them to stay put until the promise is fulfilled, and they do. Luke says they won't even leave the temple. Acts confirms they will not leave Jerusalem because Jesus told them not to leave until this promise is fulfilled and they won't go anywhere until it is. They trusted that God was going to follow through. They begin to prepare for Jesus to keep this promise of pouring out his spirit. We're going to read about that in a few weeks. But maybe most importantly, the greatest confirmation is, look at this, Acts 1 verse 14. You know what they spent their time doing? Until God fulfilled this promise, they all joined together constantly in prayer, it says. Hear this. You do not pray to a God you have given up on. You hear me? If you're still praying to Him, you have not given up on Him. I mean, think about the Psalms, which is the prayer book of the Bible. There are some rough lines in the Psalms, some anger, some calling out of the Lord for feelings of God failing him. But you want to know something about the Psalm. Every single Psalm, as bad as it gets, is addressed to who? God. He's still talking to God. And so these disciples had not seen every promise of God fulfilled yet. There's this history of God keeping his promises. There was the resurrection of Jesus, the defining moment in the faithfulness of God, but they're still waiting on this gift of the Holy Spirit that he's promised with power from on high. And what we'll see in Acts 1 is that they're actually no different. Their lives are not substantially different until the Spirit comes on them. But then in Acts 2, God keeps this promise and the Spirit of God is poured out on his people. And Peter tells us that promise wasn't just for them, it was for all whom the Lord our God will call, all who are far off, which is you and me. But he's going to give us his spirit to be with us. I've talked about this story before in a sermon. It's a story that captivated our family, the, the story of the 13 boys trapped in the cave in Thailand. You remember this? 13 boys on a soccer team and their coach who had, who had gone deep into this cave and then floodwaters forced them to, to retreat deeper into the cave where they were stranded as, as the waters rose around them, stranded in darkness for days and days and days. 
And you'll remember it was this Herculean multinational effort to try to pump water out of that cave to send divers in to find him. And they spent days and days looking, expecting not to find him, thinking they would find bodies. And then in one moment, these two divers surface in this cavern that they hadn't reached yet. And there on this small little levee, this little beach of land are all the boys on their coach. And they're all there and they're still well, but they're in the deepest darkness of this cave and they're scared. And you'll remember the telling of that story that they check to see that all the boys are there and they begin to promise them that we're going to come back for you. We're going to get you out of here. And they don't know how in the world they're going to do that yet. But they promise them that we will come back. And then those two divers swam away. Now, can you imagine what that moment was like for those boys? When their help and their rescue swam away. And they were still in the darkness. And I think that's something like what these disciples were experiencing here. The one who they had placed all of their hopes on was leaving. And they feel like they're right back where they started in a world that doesn't make sense. And so one of my favorite parts of this story as I've thought about this over the years was that the very next trip back to the boys, they send a volunteer Thai doctor who volunteers to go and stay with the boys until they get out. And I've thought about that so many times and I thought, you know, as they're sitting there in the darkness with a couple flashlights, every time a flicker of that flashlight fell on his face, they must have thought to themselves, if they sent him in here with us, this cave must not be too much for them. Like if he's here with us, we're going to be okay. You know, that's, that's the posture of the people of God. I mean, I think about Psalm 23, you know this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil for you're with me. Um, um, one, one of uh, my boys and my family has from time to time been, been scared that he couldn't find mom or dad. And uh, we've talked to him about this and, and tried to encourage him, oh buddy, you know, you don't, you don't have to worry about that. We'll never go anywhere. But I'll tell you, more important than any promises I can make are these words that I've read over him again and again and I pray over him every morning. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid for the Lord goes with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. I mean, you get that, don't you? Right. It's the Spirit of God living amongst God's people that's maybe the greatest confirmation we can trust Him. If He's poured out His Spirit on us, this world, as hard as it is for you and me, is not too hard for Him. It's not. I got to spend time with one of my heroes not long ago. He's um, a minister. And you would know his name if I told it to you. He's been really influential in our movement in Churches of Christ. He's kind of a hero of mine, and so I, I wasn't expecting to get to spend time with him, and I did. And um, 
He shared with me while we were talking that his wife of decades is battling cancer. I didn't know this. I think they've, they've kept it pretty quiet. So he started to describe to me the struggles that she's had. And I, I said, well, how's that been for you? And he said, oh, Eric, I'll tell you, as hard as it's been, it's been a blessing to me. Because I get to do for her what she has done for me for so many years. Support her. He says, that's what I'm spending my time now. There's all the preaching and the writing and the conferences and the lectures and everybody knows about all that. What they don't know is that she was supporting me the whole time and I get to do it for her now. I'll never forget that. But then I asked the question I was really wondering. Because as somebody who preaches the gospel, I'll admit there are times when I ask myself, do I really believe what I'm saying? And if it got really hard for me and my family, would I still believe it then? Would I still trust God then? And so I asked him, okay, how's this been for you and God during all this? I'll never forget what he said. He said, oh, Eric, we are doing it together. He and I, we're doing this together. How do you trust God? I think we trust our God because we have a God who has kept all of his good promises. That he has been faithful from history past. We believe he'll be faithful into eternity future. But we trust God also because he raised his son Jesus from the dead. And although death scares us and breaks us and hurts us, it has not broken him. And he is greater even than death. And because of that, there is a certainty for us of a life beyond it. But then each and every day, we trust God because we are not alone. We're not alone. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. That our world is full of hopelessness, that they don't know how to make sense of the tragedies of this life, and they don't know how to carry on when they come their way, but that's not us because we're not alone. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. We are filled with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the faithfulness of God. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, we lift up to you the families in this room, the families that we love that are hurting. And God, we carry their burdens too that perhaps this morning a bit of their load has been shifted on to fresh shoulders. Help us to carry it with them. But above all, God, we know that it's you who carries those loads. It's you who doesn't abandon us. It's you who comforts us when we mourn. It's you who lifts us up when we fall. 
And God, it is you who gives us great certainty of life to come. We trust you, Lord. We pray that you fill us with a faithfulness that comes close, that is a hint, a taste of your faithfulness towards us. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.